0: Uh, Last Tuesday, uh, let me say it this way, about a week and a half ago, Victor John, who for you ladies is a missionary friend of ours from India, we've been uh, supporting their missionary work there for probably 18 years now, so Victor John was in the States for like three weeks with uh, board meetings and fundraising events and all those types of things, he called me about a week and a half ago and said, would you like to go to New York City uh, next Tuesday night, which was this past Tuesday night, and stay overnight and then hang out in the morning on Wednesday and then drop me off at the uh, airport on your way back home. And I said, yeah. I said, I'd love to do that. I said, can I bring my daughter Erica? And he said, yeah. And I said, can I bring a tour guide named Anna Matthews, who he didn't know? And he, she, he said, sure. So the four of us went uh, over to the city Tuesday afternoon, picked Victor John up on the way to the airport, and uh, we went to uh, the Jersey City Path Train Terminal, parked the car and... Uh, got in a pass train and went to Ground Zero. And we came out into this most amazing and stunning facility that is the new subway terminal at Ground Zero. If you haven't been there, I would, I would tell you go. It is, it is truly incredible. It is overwhelming to look inside. If you wanna see pictures of Victor John standing in it, see me next Sunday because I left my phone at home today. But I'll show you the pictures. Absolutely uh, just a tribute to uh, our country and to the lives of those that were lost in that place. Uh, When we exited that, we obviously then came to the memorials, which are the original foundations for Trade Center 1 and 2 or North and South. And uh, that is sobering and overwhelming. So it kind of had me in a very reflective uh, kind of mood. And as we left there to go over to Wall Street... And uh, look around, we passed uh, Ladder 10, which is the uh, firehouse that is on Liberty Street directly beside the South Tower. I mean, it's right across the street. Uh, Many uh, lives of firefighters from that house uh, were lost on 9-11. That building is appropriately emblazoned with an American flag and the words we will never forget. That got me thinking along the lines of what I planned to share this morning, and what I want to share this morning is a celebration of Christ's work by looking at the nature of it. And, and I, I just came up with three words to talk about the cross work of Christ, and what I want to do is I want to set up a contrast saying that the work of Christ on the cross was intentional, substitutionary, and relational. And I started thinking of that in contrast to the work of firefighters, particularly those that went into action on 9-11. And in my mind, I started rolling with uh, contrast and uh, just thoughts about likenesses and and a lack of likeness and uh, the extent of and the greater extent of. And my mind just started going that way. And then I got scared because I mentioned to Tim Doria that I was thinking about doing that. And he said, you might want to be careful because... You know, if people have family members who are directly affected, it may seem like it in some way diminishes, in the contrast, the value of what was accomplished. So that caused me to call a firefighter that I know, a veteran firefighter, recently retired, and uh, had a conversation with him. He was at ground zero uh, in the relief efforts, so he has a personal connection with it and as of yet is unable to go back. My uh, concern was that I would not in any way want to uh, devalue or diminish, by contrast, the sacrifice of others. So my text this morning is 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And out of those three phrases, I want to look at these three words, and I want to set up a contrast, and I'm calling it a dangerous contrast. The title of my sermon is never forget, never forget. So the first part of this text says Christ died for our sins. Mark 10, 45, Jesus helps us understand that this death, oh, we can let the children be dismissed for junior church. My wife's been waving at me. I thought she was maybe applauding, but she wasn't. (laughs) So I I thought of this, this is my favorite verse for sharing the gospel. If I want to share the gospel with people, I run to 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So the first thought is, Christ died for our sins. Mark 10.45 tells us, in the words of Christ, his disciples chiding him for his movement towards Jerusalem to go to the cross. Their rebuke is, save yourself. Save yourself. Not so. And Jesus' response was this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. By giving his life a ransom for many. So here's what I would argue. I would argue that the cross work of Jesus was the intended aim of the incarnation. It was the reason for which Christ came. And I thought of that also in relationship to John 12 and verse 27. Jesus has come. The triumphant entry of Palm Sunday that we celebrate today has taken place. In John 12:27, he's speaking with his disciples, and he says this. Now is my heart troubled. And this, as you read through the Gospels, you find that as Jesus moves into proximity of the crucifixion, there is a sense in which the disciples looking at him can see a visible change of countenance as the reality of what he intends to do intentionally settles in on the human side of Jesus. He comes to grip with what suffering is because now he is God in flesh. And as he contemplates that sacrifice, if you study through the rest of the remainder of the Gospels, you'll find that there is a wrestling match between the Son and the Father. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. An intention but a struggle, a a wrestling between Father and his Son. John 12, 27, Jesus says it this way. He says to the disciples, now is my heart troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose, I came into this world. And you might begin to pick up on the contrast between a hero from 9-11 and the Savior. I asked my friend on the phone yesterday, I said, so when you go to work any given day as a firefighter, what's the mindset? And he kind of pushed back from what you might think. He said, He said, honestly, it's it's not something you think about. It's not that you're intending to do something dramatic. Obviously, spontaneously, it happens all the time. But the goal of a firefighter is to preserve his life and the life of his comrades. The goal of a firefighter, when he leaves his house in the morning, is to come home alive. That's part of their mandate, along with a willingness to examine risk and reward in various circumstances to make decisions about what risk is appropriate to the reward that will be gained. He noted this also, that most firefighters, when they go into high-rises, the assumption is high-rises are probably the safest place to fight a fire because the inevitability of collapse is very low, except in the case of the World Trade Center building because of how it was constructed. So he said... There is a desire to risk and to save. That's the mindset of a firefighter. But it's not that they drive to work saying that day, I am willing to lay down my life. But in the moment of the need, there is a willingness. And I would say this is a marked contrast between the work of Christ and the work of a firefighter. Jesus Christ came and made a conscious decision an intention, a choice, to lay down his life for your advantage and benefit. And there was only a wrestling with, never a serious thought about abandoning the cause. Nevertheless, was always after the prayer. Is there another way? No, your will be done. That was the intention of Jesus. And I ask you to ponder on that in the context of thinking about firefighters who heard a mayday call that day, the ones that heard it on the radio and began to move towards the excess because it was the right thing to do. Jesus is substantially different than that. For the sake of your salvation, he runs into the fire knowing that it will cost him his life. And I would ask you this morning to meditate. He came to lay down his life for your advantage. He died for you second thought that emerges in this text, I I love this part of this verse. Christ died for our sins, the just in place of the unjust, the righteous in the place of sinners, a savior and king in the place of rebels. Let it rise. Let it rise. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I delivered unto you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, for whose? Rebels that he might bring us to God. Philippians 2, talking about this substitutionary nature of Christ, the just for the unjust, Philippians 2.8 says this, he humbled himself even to death on a cross. One writer makes this observation, crucifixion was not simply a convenient way of executing prisoners, it was the ultimate indignity, a public statement by Rome that the crucified one was beyond contempt and unacceptable. Unacceptable. No other form of death can match the crucifixion as the ultimate destruction of the person. And here's what I'd like you to think about. The just for the unjust, and I'm making up a word. The just for the unjust is the in-our-placeness of the cross work of Christ. The only way I can that I can get the cross is when I say to myself, He died instead of you. He Stood in your place. The punishment he took was yours. And it's not till that truth settles in that the glory of the gospel and the call of the spirit is executed with conversion and a changed life. When he convinces you, I did this for you, with you in mind, intentionally and substitutionarily, in my place he stood. And when I think about this, I think of what I am. The biblical definition of sin can best be wrapped up in the word rebel. Rebel. The Bible says uh, we all sin and go our own way. Every parent knows who's raised a child knows what that is to contend with. We go our own way. What are we? We're rebels. He says, do this. And I say, no, thank you. I'm going to do this. Folks, here's the thing you need to understand. The just man laid down his life for unjust people. And in that, he stood in your place and took the wrath of God that you and I deserve. Firefighters on 9-11 died as heroes. Jesus died as a criminal. He suffered the greatest indignity to bear the consequence of my sin. He so stood in my place that the Bible will say later he was counted among sinners. Tim Hoff, Fran Pilch, Jesus, Don Wagner. That is the level or degree, degree to which Jesus moved into our world and stood in our place. Let that truth bless your heart this morning. Firefighters die as heroes, saving peers. Jesus died as a criminal, scorned, rejected, saving enemies and rebels. And my friend said, that's a stunning contrast. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, here is a saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You see, Paul, as he wrote the epistles much later in his life, never let go of celebrating the gospel. He could not get over the fact that Christ died in his place. Instead of him and set him free, though he was in his mind, in his understanding, as of one who persecuted the church of Christ, was the worst type of sinner. Forgiven. That should give us an unbelievable, glorious, powerful hope. I was the worst, but I was the object of, of his affection and the motive of his sacrifice. Lastly, he did all of this. Christ died for our sins the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So it is, first, intentional. Secondly, it is substitutionary, the in my placeness. Third, it is relational. I jokingly said to my friend, I said, can I make an assumption that when you go to work as a firefighter and rescue someone, you don't say to them, hey, come on home and stay at my house. He laughed. He said, no, that's not quite the goal. They said the goal is to save lives, not to relate. It's not the purpose of our function. People don't care how much we like them. They care if we save their lives. Can I move you into what I believe is the glory of this text? The glory of this text is that Jesus did what he did, that he might bring us to God, that he might restore us back to the intention of the Garden of Eden, that we would walk with God and hear his voice and know him. Personally, he didn't save you simply to keep you out of hell and put you in a place where you would be just fine. He saved you to make you his son or daughter, to bring you into a permanent relationship that he might bring you to God. Think of that. Here's a rebel rescued from his rebellion and sin, broken by your grace and love. Now seated at your table. We sing a song in our church, Once Your Enemy... Now seated at your table. And the response always is, Jesus, thank you. Folks, if you ever get over that truth, you will lose the soul of your Christian life. You will lose the passion and amazement, the affection and desire to know God. It's not until you realize he saved me to bring me into something glorious. To be his son and daughter in a way that is eternal. Firefighters fulfill a solemn duty, a responsibility that they have committed to for people they will never know and do not intend to build a life with. And this they do honorably. Jesus was not doing his job on the cross, he wasn't fulfilling his duty. He aims to bring you home, he aims to bring you into a relationship where your life will be forever changed romans five eight says this: God showed his love to us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, so I give you these three thoughts: intentional, in my placeness, relational, and then I set that in that contrast, and then i i, I so so In my experience last Tuesday, I felt a desire to honor someone for the sacrifices that had been made. When we walked past ladder 10, there were boots in the ready, the fire trousers draped down over the boots, right by the door, that if the alarm would sound, they would be on their way to do what they do best to save lives. And many of them were there that day, and a lot of them are no longer with them. In Galatians 6 and verse 14, Paul says this. Paul says, God forbid that I should glory in anything like a glory in the cross of Christ. I want you to think about that. God forbid that I would glory in anything save the death of Christ. Now, I don't think that Paul is saying it is inappropriate to enjoy success or accomplishments or athletics or children or whatever it is that you love to do. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. But I think as Paul is setting up a contrast, he's saying, God forbid that I glory in anything like I glory in the cross, which means that because of the distinct contrast between the work of Jesus and heroes, when I, when I set up that contrast, it, it, everything goes up many, many levels. If these that put their lives at risk on 9-11 are to be honored, and I would say most definitely and enthusiastically, they should be honored. And then the question that comes into my mind is this, then how much more should Christ in my life have an exalted, glorious position in celebration? and celebration? That embarrasses me. Because I don't know that I love Christ more than I love anything else. I want, I can, I'll tell you this, as a believer, I want to. But I know what it is to wrestle. And I would tell you this morning, I think the only way to get over that and to find success and victory in that wrestling is to allow the Spirit of God to penetrate your heart with the message of the gospel that Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us rebels before a holy God whose wrath has been appeased by the sacrifice of his son intentionally, substitutionally, with the aim of relationship. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish, won't get what they deserve, but instead have what Jesus intended, life everlasting. Those who gave their lives on 9 or 11 are deserving of honor and respect. The contrast to Christ does not diminish their unimaginable bravery, but instead, since their bravery is so honorable, how much more honorable is the work of Christ on the cross? who though innocent, intentionally ran into the fire of hell, endured separation from my God, why have you forsaken me? So that the just wrath of God can be removed from me because it falls on him. And through simple faith and his shed blood, he freely cleanses and gives me a status as a son of God that I do not deserve and could never earn. And as a result, I am treated as a friend, son, daughter of God seated at his table. And folks, I would tell you this morning, 1 Peter 3.18 is a verse we must never forget. Because it is the essence of what fires the Christian heart with the power of the Spirit of God, with gratitude that brings life change. There is no substitute for that. It's not bound up in a decision. It's bound up in affection. What you love drives your life. And loving Jesus will inevitably take you in a glorious and beautiful place. And for me this morning, that leads me to a place of hope. There's hope for change. Some of you ladies that are with us have come out of incredibly difficult circumstances. And you feel like you're doing okay, but there's probably at times doubt that kind of bangs around in the back of your mind because you're just like me. Christ is on your side. He's on your side. And he aims to see to completion what he has begun in you. My life verse is, is Philippians 1 6. He who began a good work in you and drew you into a relationship intentionally and substitutionally will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. That's the verse God put on my heart when I went to college, and I was scared to death that I would fail. Because I never knew if I could do school because I never tried. I worked. And that's the verse God gave me. I say, look, if I called you this, I'll see you through. And the result of the cross is confidence because he is so, is he for you? He died for you. Are you kidding me? What, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. I have called you friends. That's what he said. He wants a relationship with us, and he wants us to glory in what he's done in that relationship. When you see that Jesus is a glorious Savior, you will say, Hosanna, O save. A cry of desperation, but also a cry of hope. May the aim of our church life and our life as individual Christians be to exalt, honor, and never forget our glorious Savior. May a distinct focus on glorying in the cross be the aim of all of our service. And the work of the Spirit is this, to make much of Jesus. That's what John says. He comes to make much of Christ, because when you make much of Christ, glorious emotions arise and wonderful things in his name begin to occur. May this be the focus, exalting Christ, in all of our service, in all of our marriages, in our parenting, in our community service, in our in our. Uh, going to work and our reconciling of conflicts and going to school and our leisure how we speak of our new church building and our relationships on main street and our office and family gatherings in our suffering and in our death may this be our hope Christ died for me that he might bring me to God that covers the entirety of my existence tim keller says that's a message not through not for abc but a through z christ is Today we're going to celebrate communion. It's vital because it reminds us and it proclaims the death of Christ. Communion happens on a regular basis in the context of church life because it confronts our tendency to forget. Jesus said every time, every time you do this, do it remembering me. And so I challenge you this morning, if you've trusted Christ, the call from Christ is partake, examine your heart, There's sin to deal with, deal with it, then eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And when you do it, you are proclaiming his broken body and shed blood for me intentionally, substitutionarily and relationally. That's the aim of what we celebrate in the Lord's table. And we do it regularly so that we never forget. God help us. Help us this morning as we come to this table that you have invited us to. We physically set it up, but you invite us to come and partake of all that it proclaims. The death of Christ, intentional, substitutionary, and relational. May we come today, Savior, saying, I love you, I thank you for your willing sacrifice for me. Thank you that you died for my sins, the just for the unjust, that you might bring me to God. So, Father, help us as we celebrate. And I pray, Father, if there's someone here this morning who does not know the glory of Christ, who has never partaken of the sweet work of Christ, I pray today, God, I beg them in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God, trust in Christ, confess your sin, repent, believe, respond to the work of the Spirit of God in your heart today, and then eat of that bread and drink of that cup. This is a Christian celebration for those who have been affected by the grace of God. And Father, as we partake today, help us to never forget. I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.